May we have your attention, please? For many years, RSSB has been working to help the railway reduce its impact on the environment, progressing research and development projects to understand the decarbonisation challenge, how the railway affects local air quality and biodiversity, as well as its social impacts. As passengers and the whole of society become increasingly motivated to address human impacts, we're now looking to build on this pedigree. We're putting more emphasis on sustainability through an upgraded program of work supporting the rail industry to do more and faster. Today, I'm speaking to George Davis, Director of Sustainable Development, who will be talking us through his plans to make rail more sustainable. George, you've only been with RSSB for a few months, so let me extend a welcome to the rail industry. And of course, welcome to the RSSB podcast. Well, hello, Ant, and hello to the listeners. I'm extremely pleased to be here. It's it's great to now be in the rail industry. And thank you very much for the warm welcome, not just from you, but from colleagues who I've met in the last sort of three months of my time in rail. You're right. I mean, sustainability is a really quite broad and deep in many respects set of issues. It's a big topic. And it's a really profound in many ways because it goes to the basis of human existence, quite simply, and how what we do as humans and the extent to which we use the world around us, how we should be doing that differently and how we should be doing that in a more sensitive and thoughtful way, quite simply. If you look up a definition of sustainability, it's often described as meeting our own needs, so meeting the needs of us as a civilization today, without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. So there are three primary elements in sustainability terms. There's environmental sustainability, social and economic sustainability, and then the financial sustainability. It's often called a triple bottom line. And as we are seeing now in business, sustainability is being considered much more holistically, not just in relation to pollution, as it may have been viewed in recent years, but it's now much more about society and the extent to which what we're doing in our day-to-day lives, in the businesses that we are progressing, how that is affecting our planet ultimately and, and the climate, obviously, the climate challenges very severe now. We're in a climate emergency where if we continue to emit carbon in the way that we are currently, we will be very much in a case of irreversible climate change and a very, very damaged planet, which by definition won't be sustainable for those in generations to come. I'm a huge fan of Sir David Attenborough. I grew up watching his nature documentaries and that really lit my passion, if you like, for this agenda. And so David's been very active recently and and has been really sounding the alarm in relation to the natural world, as is his his own passion and, and interest. And we're seeing now biodiversity, so that's the number of species around the world, declining faster than any other time in human history. And that's primarily due to the fact that we are exploiting the planet. We're taking their habitats. We're harvesting them as as individuals in terms of of sea life, particularly marine marine overfishing. And that's having a really significant effect on the natural world, on the balance of ecosystems, which upon we all rely. The oxygen we're breathing, that comes from the plants photosynthesizing around us. 
the rainforests, you know, the lungs of the world as they've been known, they're continually being depleted. So we need to be thinking hard about the way in which our lives as individuals and the businesses that we work within are affecting that balance and imbalancing the natural world. And more recently, obviously, COVID-19, a hugely devastating pandemic on many levels. But I think there's little doubt, actually, that the emergence of COVID-19 and other pandemics, actually, that haven't been so significant in their impact on our lives, that has been due to the way in which we are exploiting the natural world, the way that the viruses are mutating and the way that they're coming into contact with humans is because of the the way we're changing land use. We're pushing human existence very much into the parts of the world where where we should be preserving space for other species and and life. So a largely, I guess, full-on answer, Ant, if I can use that, that flippant term, but we are in a climate emergency and we do have ourselves to blame, albeit we can get ourselves out of it. A hell of a lot of investment is being made in a decarbonized future and a more sustainable planet. And I'm very pleased that the role I have at RSSB means that I can help that to happen as far as it can within rail. Thank you very much, George, for summing up that really rather large task that we have or set of tasks we have ahead of us. You've joined us from aviation where you were head of sustainability at London Heathrow Airport. How are you finding that transition? Yeah, so my career to date has been primarily focused on environment and sustainability in, in the transport transport uh, infrastructure world. So yeah, Heathrow was my professional home for the last sort of 11 years. And, and it taught me a great deal about the way in which a complicated transport system operates, but specifically how that complicated transport system can address sustainability issues. And, and I was very proud of what what was being done at Heathrow and, and the role I played in sustainability leadership with the team there. And in terms of the transition across from aviation to rail, there's obviously a lot of similarities. We're dealing with the movement of people on mass in large volumes, and we need to eliminate carbon from the way in which we move those people. We also need to address issues like noise, the way in which the, the transport operations generate waste and consume resources, particularly water. I mentioned energy briefly. So there's a lot of commonality there. We've obviously got a different set of operating assets between aviation and rail. And so I am adjusting and trying to understand how the ecosystem in in, in a business sense is arranged in rail, particularly the role of of government and the way in which the funding is provided for rail, because that's extremely important to making any type of change, whether it be change for sustainability or or other reasons, you need to have the right economic basis and the right funding to affect that change. So I think the transition will you know, continue to take time. And you know, I'm, I'm by no means a rail expert yet, but I have a lot of expertise around me. And that's one of the reasons why I was attracted to RSSB because of the leadership that we have in our teams across system safety and health and standards and research and development. Obviously, we've a big pedigree in R&D on decarbonisation particularly, but more broadly on on sustainability, which I'm very keen to work with our team and, and the industry more broadly to to do more of. 
in terms of the comparison, I think you can't really complain, compare rather planes to trains on a day-to-day because of the way that they, they operate, but there are very common issues on a sustainability level. Thank you very much. As you mentioned, you're no expert in rail yet. You've only been here a few months, but do you have an idea of what you see as the main challenges for the industry as it seeks a more sustainable future? So rail started from a really good position in emissions terms as a sector within transport. It accounts for about 2% of the overall emissions with road and aviation being the lion's share. However, we can't be complacent. We know we've got to do more. And actually, rail will be relied upon quite extensively to make mode share or transition rather people from other modes. So getting people out of cars, getting freight off trucks on the road and onto the rail is a huge part of the plan going forward. So we can do a lot more around electrification. We've had some success on that in the past, but we need a sustained investment program of electrification. We've got something in the region of 12,000 track kilometers that aren't electrified. And it's not going to be feasible or, or economic to invest in electrification of all of those kilometers. But what we do need to do is look at how we bring in alternative traction where appropriate in the form of either hydrogen or battery power for trains and make that available in the areas where electrification doesn't make sense. So there's quite a lot to do on that particular topic. But there's also a big challenge for us to promote more the positive effects of rail in the in the sustainability context. So if you think about decarbonisation, that's about lessening a negative. So that's about reducing harmful emissions and not adding to the climate change problem. When we think, though, about social impact, there's actually a lot of positives, a huge amount of positives that the rail brings to communities. And I'm keen that through the work we're doing, that we identify how best rail can invest in solutions that enhance community well-being. And to my point earlier on, you know, recovering from a pandemic like we've just gone through and are continuing to experience, there's a huge value in investing in rail and investing in the communities around rail to bring us out of that economic downturn. So one of the really promising opportunities we have relating to freight actually is the way in which we can develop rail freight interchanges on a regional level in the UK. And I know that there's been a recent success in planning application for a rail freight interchange in the West Midlands. And that sort of infrastructure investment will enable more rail freight to go off the road rather onto the rail, affecting that mode share that I talked about before. So there's a number of challenges there, but there's also a hell of a lot of opportunity as well, because like I say, the social impact, the social imperative is very clear. You know, we can be a, a catalyst in rail for greater employment opportunities and connectivity of those communities that at the moment in some areas are suffering. So I'm really enthused by that challenge. And I think we can do a lot if we can collaborate and bring together a much more coherent approach. Thank you, George. That's a big list of challenges that the industry is facing. Could you now tell us a little bit more about your work program? How do you think we're going to get these things done? Yeah, certainly. So as I mentioned, we RSSB are people who generate knowledge. You know, we bring forward 
problems and we invest in the research and the development of solutions in many ways. So what I'm keen to do with the team I have is be very clear on the strategic objective. So what does rail need to do as an industry to decarbonize? What does rail need to do as an industry to reduce harmful emissions that affect local air quality? What does rail need to do to enhance that social value and the positive impact that I touched on earlier? And similarly, what should we be doing in the context of the circular economy? And that, that's all about eliminating resource consumption where unnecessary. So that's the strategic direction. Where do we need to get to? And within the work I'm doing at the moment, alongside DFT colleagues and network rail colleagues, we will be setting out that strategic objective for rail across those sustainability themes later this year. And that's a fantastic opportunity to have is to define that sustainable rail strategy. And this isn't in in any way sequential, but at the same time and subsequent to that strategy being set, we need to be clear on how do we get there. So if we are setting targets around elimination of emissions, reduction of poor air quality in certain areas, we need solutions. We need to work out what do we invest in, what technical answers are there out there in the marketplace often that we can adapt and we can bring into rail. So that's all about technical leadership. Identifying how we measure as well is a really important aspect of sustainability. If you don't measure, you don't understand your performance, obviously. So we need to be clear on what is the ongoing carbon footprint of the industry and not just the carbon footprint of the primary operations. What about the indirect operations? What about the consumption of materials that have an embodied carbon element? So that technical leadership needs to come forward. And then the final element is the engagement and the communications. Things like this, this podcast will help, you know, it will help raise the profile and make sure that we bring people with us. We'll be working closely with colleagues at the Rail Delivery Group at the Rail Industry Association, with government colleagues as well, to be promoting the commitment and the action that rail is taking as an industry. So in short, to summarize, Ant, there's three elements. There's strategic direction, where do we need to get to? There's the technical leadership, so what are the solutions and how do we get there? And then finally, there's the engagement and the comms, which are really, really important to make sure that we bring people with us. Thank you very much, George. From all that you've just said, it would seem that an industry sustainability plan would be a sensible thing to put together, but it's probably quite complicated. How would you see that forming? We could find ourselves getting quite tangled and and complicated in terms of the strategy overall and the plan, as you say, but I think we can guard against that relatively easily by being really clear on objective, getting agreement on what should we be pursuing as flagship goals. And I use that term deliberately. I think we can have a lot of activity, as we're seeing already, going on in the industry, which is hugely beneficial, but often at the the local level or within organizations specifically. But we need flagship goals at the industry level. Not a lot of them, probably between maybe four or six maximum flagship industry goals that we can be very clear in our communications and engagement that these are the things we're pursuing. So a goal on carbon a goal on air quality, social impact goal, biodiversity, and potentially other resources as well. So once we've got the objective, clear industry goals, we're then going to need route maps. And these route maps, again, you know, won't necessarily need to be complicated. They will just need to illustrate what interventions we need to make at what point to make sure that we are delivering against the goals. 
The measurement, as I mentioned before, is going to be crucial. So we're going to need the capability in the industry to coordinate our measurement of performance. And what I am conscious of, though, is that we don't create an industry in its own right in measuring performance managing sustainability. That would be somewhat counterproductive. But from what I've seen already in various parts of the industry, we've got some really committed and motivated experts who will be able to help us populate what I've just described. And we'll ultimately need good program management. We'll need to have good visibility of what's going on such that we can report back to the rail minister and, and to the public, quite simply, that the industry is is cracking on and, and delivering against its commitments. But I'm also on a mission to make sustainability in rail accessible and relevant. As I said at the top of the interview, we're dealing with some quite profound and, and difficult issues, actually. So wherever we are able to, we will make those issues relevant to colleagues who are working in the industry because we need to help and support our membership of, as RSSB because there are many people who want to get engaged but perhaps aren't clear on the role that they can play. So again, that's an element of what I'm seeking to achieve is demystifying and accessibility again to the topic area. And we can do that bringing in expertise as well from around the industry and indeed from other industries where sustainability is being tackled in a really good way. Thank you, George. I particularly like the idea of demystifying because the RSSB podcast is hoping to or plans to deliver technical content in a in understandable language. Like other industry-wide issues such as safety, standards, health and well-being, sustainability is going to need some extensive collaboration and you've already mentioned a number of groups. Is there anybody else you've missed out but want to forewarn you'll be tapping on their shoulder? Yeah, well, they're, they're not going to need tapping on the shoulder because they're already looking this way and they're very much up for the challenge. We will need a lot of willing support. Clearly, the industry is a large entity made up of a whole host of different players. So we've got the infrastructure providers, the colleagues obviously across Network Rail in the technical authority, as well as in the in the routes and the regions. Outside of Network Rail, we're going to need to work closely with the members in the industry association, the RIA membership, there's a lot of capability within that membership because they're not just working in rail, they're working in other sectors, in transport, in property and, and, and construction, and also in other geographies. And it's other geographies that often are able to take a different approach and perhaps don't have the same, let's say, financial restrictions as we may have in this country. So bringing that external expertise through the supply chain, particularly in the construction and, and contracting world is going to be valuable. I mentioned the rail delivery group. You know, really key partners are the RDG and, and their membership, particularly the freight contingent as well, recognizing that freight has a huge role to play and is a very willing group in tackling sustainability. But the freight environment is a different environment commercially. And I need to be recognizing that and making sure that the freight colleagues who want to be participating and who are going to be challenging and driving the change in the industry can do so. But if they haven't got the resources or the capability in-house in those freight organizations, we're keen to help them and support them and, and bring that capability where they need guidance. I mentioned, I think, earlier on the assets in the industry and, and a huge part of the asset base is the rolling stock. So we need to make sure that we get our, our Roscoe colleagues from the the owners and the leasing 
world bought in and they are already think, thinking hard about hydrogen and battery alternative traction I mentioned earlier on. And the great thing about the Roscoe community is they are working very closely with their funders, with their shareholders. And it's often those financially motivated, interested parties who get the challenge very clearly when it comes to sustainability. They have long-term asset investments that they don't want to strand. You've probably heard of the phrase a stranded asset. And clearly, we've got a very viable and positive proposition in rail, but we've got to make sure that the assets that the rolling stock companies are investing in are able to operate long into the future in a sustainable way. And I'm very keen to work with that particular part of the industry. And I mustn't overlook the important role of the government and the way in which funding for sustainability is going to be crucial. And not just the government in Whitehall, but obviously the government up in in Edinburgh and also in Cardiff. You know, the devolved administrations will continue to press and indeed lead in, in many aspects the ambitions around sustainability. And I'm keen that I link in where I'm going to find the best value in those relationships. And then finally, probably most importantly, we need to recognize the value of the third sector. So not the commercial partners in rail or indeed the governmental or public sector element of rail, but the charitable organizations, those organizations who are often overlooked, but who have a lot of value to add in the context of making the railway more sustainable. And and community rail, community initiatives around railways are hugely powerful. And they don't often require a lot of investment. And indeed, rely on a lot of positive goodwill and a commitment from people who are very happy and and willing to get involved and engaged with often an industry that they really an affiliation with and a connection with in in rail particularly. So that would be a very sort of long-winded way of saying a lot of people need to be involved. and, And I think if we don't collaborate extensively enough, we don't get organized and we don't allocate and agree roles we're probably going to trip over each other and and not be as effective as we would be if we did coordinate better. George, thank you very much. You've given us, I think, some great insight into where you see the rail industry needs to get to, your plans for how to get there and the challenges we face along the way. Challenges that to maintain our position as the most sustainable form of land transport, we have to start to address now. I look forward to more discussions where we can talk about some of the many parts of the plans in more detail. And to our listeners, I hope this has grabbed your interest too, and you'll want to come back to hear more as plans emerge. Please remember, if you have any questions about this or any other of our podcasts, email me at podcasts at rssb.co.uk. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. (laughs) 